0: This episode of the Thrive Life podcast is presented to you by Roar Alexander, powered by Thrive Life International and home of the Thrive Life Challenge. Get ready to discover everything you want to know about fitness, nutrition, and optimized healthy lifestyle hacks to help you truly earn your Thrive Life. Also be sure to keep up with Roar at www.RoarAlexander.com and share the Thrive Life podcast on iTunes, soundcloud or the thrive life podcast page on facebook now with no further delay let's get on to the show hey everybody welcome to the thrive life podcast i'm your host royal alexander so for today's episode i'm extremely excited let me start with this though I am having some technical difficulties because unfortunately my iPod broke. Um, So as most of you know if you've been listening, I just bought this really nice microphone um, full rig setup. That uh, is by Focusrite, the iTrack dock, which uses the iPad. And of course, now the iPad breaks, meaning I cannot use my microphone entire system. So, having a bit of technical problems. So, today's intro is going to be very short. I had lots I wanted to talk about, but I'm just going to skip over all that because we have a great. Episode coming up for you. I have Kate Deering. Kate Deering is the author of the book Heal Your Metabolism. Um, and she's going to go into all the reasons why you should not be doing low carbohydrate and low calorie restricted diets and hard intense training. This is a great episode and I love the stuff that she has to say. Um, some very interesting stuff too you're going to learn about uh, especially when it comes to things like green leafy vegetables and omega-3s. They may be not as good for you as we think. So I'm not definitely not telling you not to eat your leafy greens but you know just listen to what she has to say. It kind of makes you think about it. So anyways guys I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking because like I said this is. Not the best setup for me, uh, so we're just going to jump straight into our interview with Kate Deering. All right, guys, so I am here with Kate Deering. Kate Deering is the author of the book How to Heal Your Metabolism and Stop Blaming Aging for Your Slowing Metabolism. How are you doing today, Kate?
1: I am wonderful. I'm here in southern. Uh San Diego, although it's a nice gray day today, so I guess it's not sunny San Diego today.
0: Okay, so it's well, it's I'm sure the weather's still nicer than it is, say, like I know my mom, I'm in, I'm in Thailand currently, that's why we uh, have about a what about a 16 hour difference between us 15, 16 hours, something like that, so. Uh, but my mom is up in Toronto, and it's like around negative thirty-five. So I'm sure. Yes. Your, I'm sure your gray day is still nice.
1: <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do realize that for sure.
0: Yeah, for sure. Actually, you're the second person I had on from California in a row. I just had an interview with um, a woman named Julia, who is the head of the Forest Bathers Club out of California as well that's so, awesome yes that was pretty interesting now your book that's a pretty strong that's a pretty strong title stop blaming aging for your slowing metabolism so what is that all about because you know we're 30s and the 40s this, this metabolism slows down isn't that a fact of life
1: uh, well it can be if that's <laughs> what your belief system is but right, I, yeah. what i have <laughs> well i mean in in my 25 plus years of in this industry, usually it's like you be, you meet people in their 30s and 40s and they just naturally think, you know, my metabolism starts slowing. And then when you investigate it, what you realize is that many of their choices that they have been making, and probably a lot of them think they're healthy choices, could be contributing to their metabolism actually slowing down. And I had that exact thing happen to me um, through my thirties and not realizing what happened and, you know, having, starting to have uh, metabolic issues and thinking, wow, you know, I'm hitting 40 and this is just what happens. And then I started to learn a different philosophy and I learned that, you know, I can change this. And gosh, a lot of the things I've been doing that I thought were healthy, what what thought were healthy were actually contributing to the negative effects of what I was doing to my metabolism.
0: Okay. So you were doing the typical, uh, from what I understand, you were doing the typical thing, you know, you're training and you're, you're, quote-unquote eating well and you're in your 30s and then like you said around 40 you start to it starts to not work anymore is this correct it starts to things just start to not do what they're supposed to do so what sort of stuff did you notice like what did you feel how did you know there was something going on
1: well as i progressively gotten older i've gotten more stricter with my diet choice and i've always thought they were getting healthier Um, one of the choices I was opting to make is I wouldn't eat a lot of sugars, you know, more of a high protein based diet, not too much fat, you know, and eating small meals throughout the day. And I would also exercise a couple hours a day. And I was also in the fitness industry, so I was very active and, and, you know, and it would work. And then, but if I, if I kind of went off of it, you know, I would instantly gain weight quickly. And when I was trying to be super clean, there was always a point where I would feel like, you know, I'd have start either have sugar cravings or binging or, you know, it became slightly an obsession. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the industry, you think that that's, you know, totally fine. And, but it kind of starts taking over your life and your world. And, in, and then ultimately, that lifestyle starts not working, meaning what was happening to me. I was starting to have hormonal issues. I was gaining a little bit of weight. I was holding water a lot. Um, I was feeling tired, and you know, my skin was shifting, my hair was drying out. So, everything I thought I was doing wasn't really making me feel good.
0: Okay, so then, what did you? So, so how did you react to that then? Because most people, you know, like people are going to go all different directions. What made you decide? Like, well, let's see what I don't even know what you decided. So, how did you? How did you kind of start fixing that? What did you do?
1: Um. Well, gosh. So, the initial response is to actually start eating cleaner and exercising more. Yeah, <laughs> and training harder. Yeah.
0: Training sure, harder. right, yeah. right.
1: Getting even cleaner and training even harder. And, obviously, that didn't work. That was just making it worse. So, for me, I actually um, I met a gentleman who is also a fellow practitioner, uh, Josh Rubin. And he introduced me to the work of Dr. Ray Pete who I started to read and totally shifted my you know, mind around everything I believed was being questioned because um, you know, he was essentially saying that you need to eat a lot of healthy sugars, that that should be supportive, that a lot of the liquid oils that I was consuming were not good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, all of this training was actually making my body more efficient, which was slowing my metabolism down even more. So everything that I thought I was doing properly, I was having to look at it very differently and having to look at it as how it was actually affecting me in the long term metabolically. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I, kind of made a complete life shift. Um, Certainly dietarily I did. And then it it took me a little longer to make an exercise shift. But progressively um, exercising a lot less and changing the type of exercise I did and changing my diet significantly um, it made a big shift for me. Yeah,
0: we're definitely going to talk about the training later too, but I think we'll stick to the sort uh, of the uh, nutrition right now. Now, did you kind of go cold turkey, like going from not eating like any sugars and you know eating only uh, liquid fats, like you said, plant fats and stuff? Did you just go cold turkey and flip right over to just high sugar? Did you take it slowly? Like how did how did you do it?
1: Well, I you know I did a complete shift. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. It actually, you know, hormonally whacked me out for a few months. You know, your body will become very adaptive to whatever diet you're doing. So it it doesn't matter what diet you're doing. If you make a significant shift to another one, that's quite different. Mm -hmm. You're usually not going to get a positive effect. And so even though I was shifting. So, you know, when you're eating a lot of grilled chicken and egg whites and green vegetables and salads And you go ahead and shift from like milk and lots of fruit and coconut oil and eggs and all of these things I really hadn't been consuming. Uh, initially my body did not like it very well yeah I can see there'd probably
0: be some intolerance sort of feelings in there too
1: exactly
0: now can you explain to the people that don't really quite get it I mean we always use the word metabolism everybody loves to talk about metabolism it's like when I ask people you know they talk about you know why do you drink green tea oh I drink tea because it's got full of antioxidants all right what's an antioxidant they have no clue you know sure. can you explain what is so there's a couple things you talk about in the book what is metabolism and then I think another thing that people get confused on is um, metabolic rate and efficiency versus inefficiency because most people when you think about things efficiency sounds like a good thing right right so can you start with what is metabolism then explain like the, your what the efficiency versus inefficient <laughs> metabolism is
1: Sure. Well, I mean, metabolism is essentially the sum of every metabolic process that is going on in your body. So that would essentially include your digestion, your hormonal system, your nervous system, your muscular. Everything that requires energy is basically adding all that up, and that's your metabolism. That's what your body is utilizing to run. And obviously, when you are in, what happens is, so when you're in an efficient state, your body actually learns to lose to use less energy to do whatever you're trying to do. And if that is an adaptive process that your body goes through that so that you stay alive. So your body's number one strategy is always to keep you alive. So it will adapt to certain situations, certain stressors and it'll create, you know, an energy efficiency. So it's saying, "Hey, you're going to go and run for 4 hours and if I keep your metabolism really high, You're going to not only burn through everything, but you're going to burn through all your muscle tissue and everything else. So to adapt to that longevity of a workout, I'm actually going to slow the metabolic process down because you're going to be utilizing a lot of energy, and I don't want you to eat your whole body up. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, and that's essentially, you know, when people say, hey, I'm becoming more efficient. Well, yes, you are. And in some levels, it can be good, right? Especially, I mean, you don't want to utilize all your resources, vitamins and so forth on some level. So, but when you're trying to actually eat more or, you know, people are trying to train themselves to eat more so they can enjoy their foods and they're not always having to worry about everything they eat. You actually want to train your body to become inefficient. And so it wastes a lot of energy so that you're creating and when, wastes, when you waste a lot of energy, what happens is you, you exert and you release a lot of heat or they call it ATP. So you become warmer. And another waste product is carbon dioxide. So those two things actually create you more heat and carbon dioxide can actually be utilized as a natural antioxidant in your body, but also allows your body to be able to utilize oxygen better. So, the more of those things that you do, the better off your system is going to be.
0: Speaking of carbon dioxide, I read to an interesting um, interview you had um, where they asked you, and you listed 11 things, and I was going to bring up carbon dioxide later, but it just seems to fit in perfectly now. You actually mentioned living at a high altitude is good for your metabolism. Why, why is that?
1: Right, because there's less oxygen in the higher altitude, and so your body actually creates more carbon dioxide. So those. Higher altitude cities, and I think even in the book *The Blue Zone*, which talks about the seven country, seven areas of the world where people there's more centarians cemter- than anywhere else, mm-hmm. um, I believe most of those are in higher altitude areas. And yeah, so people can actually create more carbon dioxide, which is actually better for their system.
0: Oh, okay, so so there is some uh, reason to jump into that uh, carbon dioxide, that high altitude room at the gym. A lot of gyms I know are putting in those, so. It sounds like it might be a good idea to train in one of those every now and, and then.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and they, and and I mean, it probably is something has. To, there's probably cleaner air in those areas, but yeah, I mean, there is some truth, and a lot of people, certainly in the dietary industry, don't talk about carbon dioxide. I don't know if you know. Yeah,
0: they don't, you don't really understand
1: right the importance of it, but essentially, yeah, it's a very big component of your, your metabolism and how it functions. And you know, another thing that produces more carbon dioxide is. A higher carbohydrate type diet, that's gonna produce more carbon dioxide than a fat-based or protein based diet.
0: Okay, very interesting. Well that's good to know. Now, so how do we then test our metabolic rate? We've talked about metabolism and the metabolic rate, but how does one know if it's how does one know if it's low or if it's high? How do we test it? Like how would a, if maybe even the trainers listening, how could he test it on his clients? Is there anything we can do or do we just have to wait until negative things happen and then try to readjust and then go, okay.
1: Well, yeah, there are some simple home tests that you can utilize to see how your metabolism is working. One is just by taking your temperature. And, you know, usually you would take it in a resting state or you can take it after a meal and, you you know, just take your body temperature and see how warm you are. That's one one thing you can do. You can also take your pulse. So in today's world, you know, it's usually everyone's told that a, a really low pulse is really good for you and it's great. For efficiency, again, you know, runners have really low pulses, and because they're more efficient, right? And your doctor will say that's great. Well, but that is again based on fitness level, not on a high metabolism. You know, you can be really, really fit; doesn't mean you have a high metabolism. Yeah. So
0: yeah, and that's a tricky one because you know, even in the personal training courses, you're always teaching about you know the the, the great heart rates to aim for between that you know sixty and seventy. Um, but you're saying you actually want a, a typically a, a, slight, a higher resting heart rate then from a ta- from a metabolism point of view,
1: right? For a, a better metabolism, you usually want to have it between about 75 and 90 beats a minute. That's kind of the gauge that they look for. Okay. Um, you know, if you are a athlete and you are certainly an endurance athlete, that's usually tough to get unless yeah. you just train for an event and then you rest a lot. But usually, you're going to run a much lower, you know, heart rate.
0: Okay. Now, what about temperature? What temperature should we be looking for?
1: Uh, waking, you want around 97.8 plus. That's, and then usually midday, you're looking at around 98.6 or 33, 37 degrees Celsius. You know, those are uh, kind of goals or the averages of what they say is correct. You know, you can be a little bit higher. Um, women might be a little bit higher the second part of their uh, cycle based on, you know, they're going to have higher level progesterones in their blood. So they're going to be a little bit warmer. So there are some things that can shift it. Warmer temperatures will shift it. Um, but essentially, those would be the goals. And people are really surprised who think that they're really healthy. And I was one of those people when I started to take my temperature initially, it was in the 96s.
0: <laughs> okay, so so even a difference of say a degree like that can cause a, g- a very big difference then when it comes to your metabolic rate.
1: Sure, yeah, I mean, and and they gauged it per Celsius. One degree Celsius, I believe, you know, on an energetic level, is a, a decrease in like a, a 200, 200 calorie or two hundred fifty calorie per day less burn wow, just one degree okay. Celsius. Right. So if you're really cold, and I mean, I've done athletes and they've, you know, they're in the 95 degrees. I mean, you know, those are the people you see them. They're really athletic and they're running a lot and they're freezing all the time.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. What about people now? What, is there a way to hack that? How about training in the cold? People, because, you know, I've been told if you train in the cold, your body will have to turn up its temperature. Is that is that kind of like a little hack that you would suggest to people? Have you heard of that?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, cold temperatures make your body have to... W- you know, work harder mm-hmm. for sure. So, I mean, you can metabolically make it work harder and utilize more calories. But again, if, if your body's not getting the usable energy, if it's not getting the energy to do that, it's still going to create efficiency, right? So yeah, for sure. working out would usually not be a way to increase your metabolism, other than if you're trying to add muscle tissue. You know, you have to think about the way to increase metabolic rate is you've got to give your body more fuel, Gotcha. And the more fuel you can give it, the, you know, the more energy, you know, it knows that can utilize so that it can give energy to all the systems of the body. Because once you start depriving it of that and start creating an efficient body, what starts happening is things stop working. You know, that's why you see women runners who have no periods, they can't get pregnant, you know, they start losing bone mass. All these things start happening because their body is not getting the need to the use the, the energy to, to to work those systems
0: yeah and i think that's an important note too is, you know when we ever think about you know boosting metabolism it always comes back to you know exercise exercise is the way you get your metabolism going exercise is going very few people really think about the nutrition part it's usually just exercise to get that metabolism up it seems to be you know 90 percent of the time that seems to be most people most trainers answer is the exercise and yet the nutrition is kind of ignored but the nutrition is obviously the most important part when we're talking about your metabolism
1: Yeah, certainly. I mean, exercise will make your body have to utilize more calories, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, so it, but it's taking away from the system. It's not adding to the system. So yeah, for that period of time, you might burn more calories, but that one hour, two hours of exercise that you might be taking away when you're not exercising could create a more efficient state in that place of rest.
0: Yeah, for sure. So,
1: Yeah ultimately what we're trying to do is increase your metabolism in that state of rest. We want your body to utilize as many calories as it possibly can in the other times of the day when you're not burning calories you're just trying to utilize them to have everything work properly
0: yeah now that makes a hundred percent sense so you had mentioned um some of the symptoms you'd had you had said there was some dry hair you had um what are some of the symptoms people should be looking out for for a low metabolic rate then is there is there sex specific ones is there things that apply to everybody is there some that hit women more than men or men more than women
1: well There could, I mean, women can have PMS issues, um, infertility, low sex drive, you can have things like constipation or diarrhea, Um, obviously being colder is one, less energy, sleep issues is another one, Mm -hmm. Um, like dry skin, brittle nails, dry hair, um, dry skin, you know, basically everything starts moving a little bit slower. So, everything that, any systematic thing that requires energy is going to start having some issues. And so, it, it, you know, different things can affect different people, but ultimately over the long run, the people I see seem to have a little bit of all of these issues. You know, some younger women, it might start off with PMS, and they might have a lot of menstrual issues and so forth, and then as they get older, they could have infertility issues. You know, you can see it in today's world, um, you know, infertility clinics are all over the place. And you know, and one of the biggest things is are everyone 's more stressed these days, and stress is a big energy taker and, and then there 's all these people on all of these diets, so they 're not getting what their body needs, and your body will not procreate if you it doesn 't feel safe it 's not getting enough energy
0: yeah, no one hundred percent actually it 's kind of interesting a um, couple things there 's I actually have a friend, um, well, you know, it's one of those things, if you've been in the fitness industry for a long time, which I have, you'll see a lot of these, and particularly women, I would say, more than men, although it happens to men, but for women, it seems to be a lot worse. I'll see these women, and they go into these fitness contests, you know, Mm -hmm. and I see it again and again and again, and I'm watching two people right now that that I'm friends with, and you know, they were, uh, and one's in for Thailand and one's in Indonesia. So, you know, they're typically fairly smaller ladies to begin with anyways. The, the, the Asians just tend to be quite a bit smaller because i lived in Asia here for a while. Um, just <laughs> stereotyping them. <laughs> you know, They do tend to be uh, smaller. You do lifestyle choices and stuff like that. But they've both competed in fitness shows. And, you know, they do the typical thing where they really cut down their carbohydrates, the protein intakes go way up. So they switch to that very kind of bodybuilding, um, Western style of eating, which is high meat, chicken, just broccoli and cauliflower. They look, Mm -hmm. you know, they get ripped up for their show. But then two weeks after the show, you see pictures of them and they've put on a ton of weight. Like, I mean, they're now officially overweight uh, and not in the good way. So what's up with that?
1: Well, I mean, if you stress the crap out of your body, you know, and eliminate all, I mean, they're pulling every, you know, probably all the the sugar out of their muscles and they're Hastily putting their bodies in a somewhat starvation type, trying to utilize protein as energy. I mean, your body can break down protein and use it as energy, per se, mm-hmm. you know, and it takes energy to do that. And you can get really lean, but there's a, you know, your body can't live it. That, that's a not a sustainable life. And so as soon as they go back, and then usually what happens though is they consume everything and anything in sight because they're craving carbohydrates so badly at that point that they overconsume, and usually they'll put on a lot of water, you know, their body's just having a reaction to everything they did and, you know, and the cravings kind of don't start and I, and I mean, stop, I've seen those women and they'll literally gain 20 to 30 pounds in two weeks.
0: Yeah, it's crazy the, the difference and then the problem is is that they get hooked on that look on stage and sure. they just start repeating and repeating and I honestly, I'll tell you every single one, I honestly, because I was in this, I was doing the fitness competitions a long time ago. All of them, by the time they are 30, they have extremely wrecked metabolisms. I, I've yep. seen very few that have come out successfully on the other side and come, been able to maintain a nice solid weight going into their 30s yep. and 40s. So, Now, speaking of, of trendy diets people are on, um, do you get stressed out with all this? I mean, uh, I've learned now, I, I don't really try to mention the word ketogenic on, on Facebook. Because if I say anything, I don't know what it is. There's just certainly to be certain diets and certain ways of exercising that have these people get very angry if you attack their, their way. You know, like for instance, if you say anything negative about CrossFit, even if it's an intelligent you know uh, problem with CrossFit, you know that they jump all over you. But the ketogenic people it just seems they get so passionate about their ketogenic diet so how do you handle it when you're running around telling people you know you need to eat uh, more fruits and more vegetables and more sugars but you have like all these guys you know out there especially in the West right now like, the ketogenic diet is just taking over from what it seems out there H- how do you like I'm, what I'm trying to say is uh, how are you handling this <laughs> what is your message to the people because the ketogenics are just seem to be everywhere.
1: Yeah, it is obviously very popular right now. And, you know, what? I am I'm am I'm, I'm all about to each his own, right? If that works for you and you love it and do whatever, you know, I, I won't go on anyone's ketogenic page and tell them that they're wrong. You know, they're exactly where they're at. And when someone has a deep belief in someone, you know, me going on there it would be pointless. So, you know, for me, I just preach what I learn and understand as far as human physiology. I mean, to me a ketogenic diet doesn't make a lot of sense because initially, you know, your body's first choice of energy is always gonna be glucose. And the only time you ever start utilizing ketones is when you deprive yourself of glucose. So it's not it's not like an initial response of your body. So it's more of a secondary response or a survival response to start utilizing ketones and, you know, and I know there's some good research on it, especially for the brain disorders, you know. But again, I don't have a brain disorder. I, you know, I try to, I want to teach people how to live a healthy world and a healthy life, and that you don't have to just eat an 80% fat diet to do that. I mean, if you want to and you enjoy that, great, go for it.
0: But exactly, because this is the thing. I mean, you said if it works for people, that's great, but I don't really think it does. I mean, we kind of went through this already in the 90s. Like yeah I, I it it's,
1: it's kind of like, yeah, it's I like, seem to be
0: the only one that remembers the Atkins craze and Atkins bars and all that sort of stuff from I guess I was like ninety eight to two thousand two I, I I don't know, maybe I was in another dimension, but I seem to be the only one that remembers we did this already and it didn't work.
1: so well, you know, we all we all like to repeat ourselves. we know that's human they kind of repackage it, I think, you know, I like now it's not as much meat, you know, now it's less meat and it seems more fat and you know so, I think they repackage it and then they give them the ketones as a form of a drink. And, you know, now they've combined it with intermittent fasting. So, you know, there's all these new ways to repackage it and deliver it. Right. And because, again, I think a lot of it is, yes, they're saying ketones are your best source for your brain because look at all these brain disorders. They've, you know, they've done better when we put them on a ketogenic type diet and, okay, I mean, and that could be very true, but you have to understand that person who has gone through and, and, and doesn't, you know, can't utilize sugars optimally because if they have some sort of brain disorder, you know, we always kind of understand that, you know, brain issues can be like a diabetes of the brain. Yep. But that's an adaptation that they've gone through. And so you're trying to eat on a diet that someone has adapted to on a negative way and that that is now working for them. They could also try to go to a, to, to a different way and try to correct that You know, utilizing sugars differently and and, and seeing if they can fix that situation. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of research on that, um, but that is also another way to do it. But, you know, primarily I look at how a healthy individual runs and I look at human physiology and a healthy individual runs on glucose, period.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, yeah, that's one of the arguments I got is that, like you said, it drives me nuts when people say, well, look, it works because here it works so great for autistic children. I'm like, okay you're not autistic though so it doesn't really make sense so to me i had a client once who had kidney disease so she couldn't eat high protein so Mm -hmm. that's kind of like me saying well listen we should all eat a low protein diet because those with kidney disease can't do protein so there you go i mean it doesn't make sense to pick these really abstract populations and then base our arguments on why a diet's good based on them because like you said if you don't have brain damage or or autism then you can't really use that as a great argument for being in a a ketogenic diet Um, now another thing that you brought up that i found really interesting is the people will say well the reason you don't need to eat a lot of carbohydrates is because the body will make glucose it doesn't need carbohydrates because it will make glucose so sure. I can see that side of the argument because okay, so I go, okay, well, I see, I see where you're coming from. But to me, that's kind of like saying, well, doesn't that mean that glucose and sugars are so important that if you don't have it, your body has no other it, – it has to create it from somewhere else. So, I mean, I think they look at it, the argument from the wrong side. They say, well, you don't need it because here's proof your body makes it. My argument is, well – Yeah, but it means it's so important that your body will be forced to make it. So you really should not put the body in that state.
1: Right, and when basically yes, so your body can go through a process called gluconeogenesis, where it uses non-carbohydrate based things and it can create sugar from it. You know, and it can do that from breaking down your muscle tissue, your glands, and 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 so. It's not really the route you want to go. I mean, you can eat protein and it can break it down and create glucose that way. Mm -hmm. But to me, it's like, well, why not just eat glucose, you know, or eat sugars? And why would you, why would you, because when you have to break down proteins to create sugar, then you have a lot of byproducts that aren't good for you. And so you have like ammonia and then you have free amino acids that can be very inflammatory to your system. So there's a lot of byproducts when you do that, that are not ideal Whereas when you just utilize glucose directly, you don't have any of that. And then you burn and, you know, create a lot of heat. And then you also create a lot of carbon dioxide, which doesn't occur with, you know, burning and breaking down proteins.
0: No, I agree. It just seems sometimes that people just don't really think about these arguments very well. I mean, again, going back to a kind of a stupid argument, that doesn't make sense, but it would make sense according to their logic is, well, you also don't need to then intake calcium in your diet because if you don't get enough, your your body will leach it from your bones. So therefore, you don't need (laughs) calcium. (laughs) It's the same argument. But when I say it, it sounds stupid. But for some reason, when you say it about carbohydrates, it sounds completely logical. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right right and I mean obviously their philosophy is you know that you don't need as much as they say and you know you can do it with because usually when you go through a gluconeogenesis or, or you know your body has a, a, a response when there's not enough sugar it, 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 it that's basically stressful to your system so mm-hmm. usually what happens is you have increased cortisol or increased adrenaline to break down those those uh, other substances to create sugar so you know it's a slight stress to do that. And so, you know, what they've studied with ketogenic diets is they have elevated levels of cortisol in their blood, which is not something you really want to do. And yet, you know, that's their argument. And so, you know, I'm like to each his own and some people find a lot of success in it. And, you know, if that works for you, great. You know, I mean, I definitely have people that come onto my page and like to argue with me about their ketogenic diet and you know, essentially, look, I can only give you the facts that I know and understand. I mean, but two things I know is when when you deprive your body of glucose, two things happen. One, you have gluconeogenesis, because again, your body is in need of sugar. So your body has a backup mechanism to make its own. And the other thing that happens is your, your metabolism slows down. So those are the two things that happen when you deprive your body of glucose. Neither of those Is to me very advantageous.
0: (laughs) No, I don't think so either. And and going back to that, the the brain, you know, disorders again. I mean, you know, people will talk about it as a a treatment for, like we said, Alzheimer's and stuff like that, which is great. I mean, I get that if you have Alzheimer's, it's probably Mm -hmm. worth giving it a shot. But at the same time, you also mentioned the blue zones, and the blue zones are about seventy percent carbohydrates. And yet they also have extremely low cases of cognitive disorders at the same time. So I think, you know, we have to look at that and we just have to say, okay, well, maybe keto's great as a, you know, once you have it, maybe to deal with it. But I don't know if I don't know if starting doing ketosis in your thirties is a great way to prevent Alzheimer's, considering in all the blue zones we've seen that, you know, they don't they don't prevent old age Cognitive decline by cutting down on the carbohydrates. They just make kind of better more intelligent life choices and carbohydrates are a big part of that
1: Right, right, and you know, and and I mean ultimately I've never heard of some a centurion or someone I mean and maybe they're out there I don't know But there's not a lot that I've read about or history of people that are living well into their hundreds That are on a ketogenic diet, right? I mean, so there's just it's just not something I've even heard of I mean and like they could be out there, but I yeah,
0: there may there may be a Centaurian Inuit, maybe, but I don't know. We haven't heard about it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess one of my things is let's talk about fasting for a second too, because like you had mentioned before, because this is just so is so interesting because fasting and intermittent fasting now is is this huge trend all you're hearing about it is, is fasting and fasting what are your views uh, on fasting do you think people should a do it do you think people should do it more like the kind of like the religious style where you just go like a full day without it because i just did one uh, about a week ago actually just just for interest sake i did just like this green juice fast and and i did feel kind of i was really wired and awake but i tend to be a high stress person so mm-hmm. i just felt like i was kind of like I just felt wired and stressed, I mean I was I was got a lot of work done but I was like this doesn't feel like a good style of stress, <laughs> I was like, like not really sure. So what are your views on the fasting and, and if people should do it and particularly with women because I've heard a lot of, I would say from, from what I understand, I could be wrong but for women it's really not a great idea but let me hear what you have to say about it.
1: So I am certainly, I'm not a fan of fasting, I mean the only time I think you should fast is while you're sleeping so in times of rest. Uh, if you don't want to eat that's fine, you know because at times of rest when your body's in a state of rest And you know it you, the preferred source of energy especially if your muscles and heart is to use fat directly mm-hmm. You know your other systems are still again, you you're always having a constant flow of blood sugar through your system, but some of your large, you know, like I said, your organs and your and your muscles will use fat directly at, in a state of rest. But now if you're in now an activity and you're deciding to continue to not eat and you're exercising and you're not eating and you're working and you're not eating and you're, you know, then you're putting stress onto your system because now you're trying to utilize energy. And again, if you haven't provided your body with food and you have no more stored glycogen. That is going to put your body in a state of stress. And for someone who fasts, yes, they can feel very energized because what's going to happen is they're going to get increased level of cortisol and adrenaline. Mm -hmm. It's going to break down your tissue so that it can keep a constant state of blood sugar running through your system. And so that's why a lot of people feel quite good or energized when they're fasting because of that exact scenario. You know, you can... I think there, if you, you know, some people do it for religious reasons or whatever. I personally, for health reasons, I just think there's a better way. I don't think you need to put your body in more stress to get a result.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think one of the reasons people do it, and you touch on this as well, um, is because when you're fasting, the intermittent fasting, and you're giving yourself maybe only an eight hour window to eat, you're probably just going to eat less calories, period. Exactly. I mean, mm-hmm. so you mentioned you talk about serving sizes um can you tell us about serving sizes because i think that's important Uh, and people because when I've, i've been living in like i've said in asia now for seven years i mean have you ever been over to asia i have not there's a big difference when it comes to serving sizes here (laughs) I <laughs> significantly you know whether you're in canada or the u.s i guess just the western world period you know we love mm. our 7-eleven slurpee you know, 32 ounces and all that sort of stuff but over yeah. here like my morning cup of coffee uh i go to get it I, i'm not over exaggerating it's a dixie cup right like your cup of coffee here is a dixie cup and everything is smaller so when i first moved here i would have to order three meals to, to feel <laughs> full like i told people i said For God, for years in Asia, I felt like I was just slowly starving to death because right. they're serving sizes. Can you tell them about serving sizes? Because I think that's really why, you know, when when you say, okay, I'm only gonna eat for eight hours, the fact is most people aren't gonna stuff themselves and feel bloated. So what's about what about serving sizes? What are we thinking?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that's one of the tricks with intermittent fasting is there's just less window to eat. And so usually what happens is most people just eat less. And so yeah, if you put yourself in a calorie deficit, you can lose weight if that's what they're looking to do. But, I mean, serving size is kind of dependent on the person, you know. I mean, ultimately, my thoughts are, you know, a, a piece of protein should be between three and five ounces, you know, which is usually about the palm size of your hand in, in a meal. And, you know, a, a, a carbohydrate source should be about the size of your uh, fist, you know. And so when you go out to eat here, you um, you know, they give you about double of what you probably should eat in one meal, unless you're a large person, you know, you ultimately don't need to be eating the size of food that most American restaurants give you, you know, unless you go to a really nice restaurant, which actually gives you a decent portion size, because whatever they're using is quite expensive. But yeah. most restaurants out here, I mean, it, I it actually, I mean, I, I can't even eat, I always have to share, I'm just like, it's just so much food—it's so wasteful. You know what
0: might be a good—it might be a good diet trend. Maybe doing the five-star diet, where you only eat at five-star restaurants. There you go. Because you're right. paying a hundred dollars a dish, and you only get one bite. And I bet you that would fly. <laughs> um, the uber wealthy. Right? Yeah, exactly. Just the uber wealthy spend a thousand dollars a week on eating out, and you'll, you'll lose weight. That's having like a great argument. Go. Now, let's talk about some things because I don't want people thinking right now that now we. We've opened up the floodgates for them to go and eat Pop-Tarts and Captain Crunch. You right. had mentioned, uh, so now a couple things I want to mention. You had mentioned sh- natural sugar. You know, some people say, well, you know, natural sugar versus unnatural sugar. The fact is when you eat sugar, both of them raise your insulin exactly the same. So table sugar and the sugar from watermelon has absolutely no difference. So can we touch on what do you mean when you say natural sugar?
1: Well, I mean, there is some truth to that. So, I mean, sucrose is sugar. Mm -hmm. So that's a combination of fructose and glucose. And that sucrose equals what white sugar is. And that exact same sucrose is in fruit. um, But fruit also will have a combination of fructose, individual fructose molecules, individual glucose molecules, and then sucrose. So the combination of fruit, usually there's a higher percentage of fructose Mm -hmm. to glucose. in in sugar, it's 50-50. So fruit might be a little bit higher in fructose, which ultimately, the more fructose you have in something, the lower the glycemic index on it is because fructose is a very low glycemic index and glucose is 100. And so whatever combination they put in together is going to depend on how fast that food gets into your blood system.
0: Gotcha. Sorry, go on.
1: No, and so because fruit usually has a good percentage of fructose in there, the glycemic index is a little bit lower than sugar although sugar itself isn't particularly high you know a sweet potato is higher than sugar as far as glycemic index is concerned
0: yeah for sure and we see that places like in okinawa uh they eat a lot of purple yams i mean right now let me play the devil's advocate for a minute bodybuilder trainer Mm -hmm. because the trainers you know that train people uh for especially to lose weight they say don't eat sugar, don't eat fruit because fruit is high in fructose, like you just said. And mm-hmm. fructose, you know, that's fructose, high fructose, corn syrup, and pop, that all leads to fatty liver disease. So eating too much fruit is gonna give you fatty liver disease because of the fructose.
1: Right. Well, so the research that does look at that and 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 essentially we can we can owe that to Dr. Lustig, um, who did the bitter bittersweet truth and the bitter truth. Um, did a lot of research on fructose. And to really look and get the fatty liver uh, results that he did, you would have to consume upwards of about six liters of Coke a day for you to get those results. And it also shows that it happens in the lack of choline. So choline can be found in things like egg yolks. Okay. And and so when you are deficient in something like choline, the chances of you getting fatty liver if you over consume sugars or fructose greatly increases, or even just fat in general. So they do think that that can be a missing component. So a lot of these people that went on these, you know, it's back in the 80s when everybody went on these you know, low-fat diets and all fat was gone. And, you know, and then they were consuming a bunch of high-sugary crappy foods like snack wells and all that crap food. You know, you would see some more chances of something like fatty liver occur because, A, they weren't consuming any fat, they weren't getting any choline, and then they were consuming high, high, high amounts of these crappy, non-nutritious foods.
0: Yeah, so so, so you're saying choline, then, is a um, is basically a fructose metabolizer that people weren't getting. Is that correct?
1: Well, it was basically, yeah, they were just showing that diet's low in choline because choline is kind of a factor that helps... Decrease chances of fatty liver. So it's a missing component. Okay. And so, right. And so, you know, I'm not saying just go out and eat carbohydrates. I mean, there there is a balance to all of this, you know, because fats are, are also important because especially something like an egg yolk is very important because of all the nutritional value that comes with it. You know, when you have a high carbohydrate or high sugar, natural sugar-based diet, you also need to make sure it's highly nutritious. Yes. Because sugar itself is does increase the metabolism it actually does create more heat it does create more carbon dioxide which when that happens your body requires more nutrition so you need to make sure when you have a high you know sugar-based diet that those sugars need to be nutritious and that means fruits and roots and milk is a good a good source as well so anything with lots of nutrition and has healthy sugars in it is a good place or a good foundation for your diet.
0: Awesome. So let's go through then some of the the, the major food groups and you tell me um, what your uh, like let's so carbohydrates. You would said so we'll start with carbohydrates. You would said fruit. Um Now, are whole grains in there? Are we talking whole grains? And then is there a specific rule? No, I usually
1: say stay away from the grains. Um, If you're going to consume them, I would usually recommend something like a sourdough just because it metabolizes a lot differently than a whole grain. Whole grain is usually, there's a lot of usually anti-nutrients because they're coming from seeds. And so your body could have a harder time processing that and have digestive if someone has a gluten issue and so forth. So initially, I would say stay away from the grains. Okay. Fruits would be the basis. You could have juices. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, um, roots is a good one, so potatoes or jams.
0: Uh, and turnips and stuff like that? hmm I
1: okay. mean, and and then some of those are cooked, like, the raw carrot is a very ideal food, but it's best in the raw state, and we actually use it for another reason, because the, the raw carrot can serve as... Uh, almost like an antibiotic for your gut it's very antibacterial and the fibers help kind of clean out your gut area so i actually recommend everyone eat a raw carrot a day
0: okay now what about you haven't mentioned leafy greens yet everybody's supposed to eat their kale and their and their their dark lettuces and their spinaches how come we haven't talked
1: about leafy greens right so i'm Personally, I don't recommend a lot of leafy greens, certainly not in the raw state. Um, the human body doesn't digest them very well, and there's tons of anti-nutrients in these leafy greens, so, you know, they can cause more gut, gut disturbances. When I used to eat lots of salads, I had a, a bloat constantly. It never went away. I always had it. I couldn't understand why I had it, cause I'm like, I'm just eating all these salads, and I always have this bloat. Um, and it wasn't why I eliminated all of these raw leaves till everything fixes itself. Well, now,
0: sorry go ahead no, would cruciferous vegetables be included in that like broccoli and cauliflower and stuff or cruciferous
1: are they- veg- yep in the raw state are included more so because they're goitrogenic, and so they can have a negative effect on your thyroid and so everything that we're trying to do is trying to promote healthy thyroid function hmm. so having and eating something is goitodrenic um, we either say eliminate it or cook it because that can decrease the glycogenic uh, effects.
0: Gotcha. It's ironic then that the bodybuilders are saying to eat uh, lots of broccoli when you say saying it's, it does the opposite.
1: Yeah. one well, and all of them. They're like a, just a gassy, gassy mess when they start doing something <laughs> like that as well.
0: Okay. So, so fruits are our main one. Now, what about rice? How about let's jump into rice. What are we thinking on that one?
1: Uh, well, rice is obviously a grain. So initially, okay. with people, I would tell them to eliminate that, but it's not a horrible food. I would say consume the white rice over the brown rice, mm. primarily because white rice is easy for your, easier for your body to digest. And when I recommend foods, it's always about digestibility and how well your body can absorb and utilize it. So sometimes foods that are actually lower in fiber are recommended or we actually suggest cooking the foods to kind of make them easier for your body to process and digest. Um, And that way we can actually get the nutrition out of it And your body can assimilate it and get the energy out of it versus your body having to work so hard to get what it needs out of the food.
0: Yeah, that's been an interesting switch actually in the last few years. I mean, back in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, we were telling everybody to eat brown rice and white rice was the devil. Uh, Even though, you know, we kind of didn't really look at the 2 billion Asian people who seem to do okay mostly on the white rice. We ignore them a lot
1: exactly
0: <laughs> i find i always find it ironic that we seem to ignore the countries that do the healthiest and, and live the best while we write our books on weird topics but and that's a that's a topic of an entirely different story um but yeah i mean definitely the foods that digest easily i was actually listening to uh stan Efferding recently and he was doing a diet for the guy that plays you know the mountain on game of thrones mm-hmm. uh, and he's a straw man he was talking about uh same thing as you he's the mountain was having a hard time losing some weight but he didn't want to lose his strength so what he did is he just put him on like basically you said that he switched him over off the brown rice and stuff like that and more onto white rice and just foods that are easily digestible and the guy lost a lot of just fat but managed to keep his strength so uh, that's definitely a, a, a major a major one is those easily digestible foods so Let's move then from carbohydrates cuz I think we got a pretty good grasp of that. How about we jump into protein sources now? Cuz you're not a big fan of the red meats, am I correct?
1: Um you know what? I'm not a fan of a lot of muscle meats. So, okay. I, if I was going to pick any meats, I would pick a grass-fed red meat actually. Um, okay. and I would usually say, you know, maybe once or twice a week, you know. So a lot of these diets people are eating, you know, muscle or red meat twice a day, you mm. know. And a high muscle meat diet is very inflammatory and and it's not recommended or ideal for a healthy diet. So I would usually say things like uh, whitefish, cod or sole are good, the lower fat fishes, okay. uh, shellfish are good because of their mineral content. So uh, shrimp, oysters are phenomenal for you to be eating every week, scallops, um, any, any of those are, are, are great sources. Uh, liver once a week is great because of its high nutritional content um, liver is probably the most nutritional food on this planet
0: yeah I have, I have um, that a couple times a week in Thailand, in Thailand it's quite easy to get a barbecued liver Almost everybody has it now yeah
1: yeah, and that's one of the things we don't do in America I mean they do those over in the Asian uh, countries is they eat a lot of the organs and they eat the whole animal where we don't we ate just the muscle itself yeah you get chicken so,
0: feet here yeah. <laughs> and bugs, a lot of there's there's bugs. There's interesting
1: stuff over there. So there's a, sure you, you, you
0: go down the market. I mean, there's a guy that, one guy has pig's faces. Literally, you can buy a pig's face. I don't know why you'd want to. I guess you do something mm-hmm. with it. But then there's chicken feet. There's another guy who's got insects. He's got all barbecued insects right there. But they also do a lot of broth. And I heard you talk quite highly about broths as well. Um, yeah,
1: so broth is a, is a wonderful food, um, you know, just based on the, the, gelatin, the gelatin in the broth. I mean, it's a good protein source. And because it's coming from other sources like the collagen of the animal, the skin of the animal, it's not a very inflammatory uh, protein, meaning it's very low in the inflammatory amino acids like tryptophan and cysteine which are very high in the muscle meat. So broth is a great source and, and obviously as you see in the Asian cultures, you know, they use things like chicken feet and they use the bones and they create a wonderful broth and they have it in their soups and it's super healthy for you.
0: Yeah. So yeah, I know for sure. They use the they definitely use the entire animal. <laughs> now what they about What about vegetarian sources of protein because I know there's like in the West right now we talked about how the ketogenic diet but there seems to be two very diverging paths now. You have the ketogenic diets which have shot way off to the right but now you have the plant-based guys um, and the huge move towards, I don't necessarily want to say it's a move towards veganism but there's definitely a big plant-based movement. So are there any vegetarian sources of protein that you think are good that you would suggest?
1: uh probably the potato mushrooms would be the best sources if you're gonna have a plant-based diet I, I think it's really hard to be um, super nutritious long term on a, a vegan diet if you want to go vegetarian and you can and you introduce dairy into your diet then that would be more uh, ideal and a little bit healthier yeah but my experience is you know for unless you are I mean like, I've seen some of these kind of bodybuilder kind of diets that do it and they eat such large, large quantities of food and they eat tons and tons and tons of fruit. Um, you know, and, and they eat pounds and pounds and they end up getting about 80 to 90 uh, protein grams a day. And, you know, and they seem to be able to sustain. But I think it can be very, very challenging. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's impossible.
0: What about beans?
1: Yeah, beans are, to me, not your friend. Again, um, they are so super hard for your body to digest. And unless you're soaking and sprouting them, it would be better. Mm-hmm. But, again, you know, anyone knows that they have a high bean diet, there's a lot of gas that's coming along with that. Yeah. And, you know, so, again, we're looking at digestibility, and beans would not be on that list.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And then uh, at least uh, the preparation, too, I think is a big part that people skip a lot, too. You know, people just take the beans right out of it and they just – Kind of eat them really quickly. But like you said, the best way, if you're going to eat them, is definitely soaking and sprouting for sure. Um, Yeah. Okay, so basically for choices of meats, uh, you were saying, uh, let's just recap again. You were saying uh, some organ meats, not too much, but some organ meats a couple times a week. What were the other ones?
1: Shellfish. Shellfish. So, like I said, shrimp and scallops and, again, oysters. Um, Oysters have, like, one of your highest zinc foods out there, so having them once a week is really healthy for you. Eggs are a great source. Dairy is also a really good source. And, I mean, dairy is kind of a complete uh, food because it has carbohydrates, protein, and fat in it. But, you know, it's the best source of calcium your body can get is through uh, a dairy source. So, you know, having that as a good part of your diet is pretty important
0: okay now let's talk about dairy just for a quick second what about the people that go on and on about you know your traditional are you talking traditional like you just walk into like the, the 7-eleven you buy a liter of milk there or are you talking more of the raw milk organic milk like what or just any kind of dairy in general
1: well i would say get the best quality that you could usually an organic grass-fed cows gonna be better than uh, a conventionally farmed cow so you definitely want to get the best quality whether it's raw or pasteurized or homogenized, I you know, I tell people, egg what you can afford and what works for your system. Some people don't do very well on raw milk and some people do great. Some people need it pasteurized. And so it's kind of experimenting to find out what works for you. Some people can't do cow's milk, they need to do a buffalo or goat's milk. Mm. And usually though what I find is that people think they cannot do dairy at all if you do introduce it quite slowly back into your Back into your diet, you usually can do very well on it. You usually, and you know, again, it's just a great food, and there's no other source out there that you can get the quality and the quantity of calcium in the diet.
0: So, for people that have kind of cut out dairy for a while, coming back in, would you suggest, like, just off the top of my head, I would think I would probably suggest them starting with maybe uh, like a yogurt. Do you think a yogurt would be a good place to start with them?
1: You could do that, or a cheese um okay. like a parmesan reggiano is a really clean cheese um and usually it's that you know they have an issue with the lactose mm-hmm. so if you haven't had dairy for a while your body might have stopped producing lactase the enzyme to break it down so you know cheese doesn't have a lot so you might want to start with that and then you could try a whole milk and maybe do an ounce or two a day and then just see how your body responds you know don't think oh i haven't had milk for two years i'm going to go out and have a couple cups well you're probably not going to do too well I, I don't think that's going to go over very well now what about where do probiotics where where do probiotics
0: and enzymes fit into here and when we're talking about metabolism do they because I, I, I don't think i've read a lot um on on the probiotic side so where, where are you feeling those fit in
1: i think some people can use them as a kind of buffer initially if your body's not producing the enzymes to break down food it can help to add something like that initially Mm -hmm. until probably you clean up the gut a little bit and give your intestines a a little bit of a break um you can kind of reteach your body because you don't want to have to have any kind of supplementation like a probiotic indefinitely you might need it initially yeah. But, you know, what I would say is, you know, start with it if you think you need it or you're taking it and then slowly try to get off of it because your body essentially should be able to, you know, teach and be able to break down these foods, except for, again, the ones that I mentioned that like the leafy greens that, we, you know, we don't have the enzymes to break those down.
0: Gotcha. Now, how about getting back to the protein again for a second? What about nuts? Because you guys got like Mark Sisson and all these paleo guys, they're telling you, like, you know, the CrossFit the CrossFit logo is, you know, their very first thing is eat veg- leafy greens and nuts and seeds. Right. So where are we um, with nuts?
1: Right. So first, nuts is a protein source. I mean, nuts are pretty low in protein; they're more higher in fat. That's mm-hmm. usually that you're getting the most calories from fat, For and sure. usually the p- primarily fat that's in there is the polyunsaturated fats. Um, Those are good, right? Like, right. Well. <laughs> You're right. So the polyunsaturated fats are fats that we know to be immune suppressive. So they can actually slow your immune system down. They also can inhibit proper protein function. So they are trypsin inhibitors. So they can actually inhibit you from actually getting the protein out of that nut that you need. Hmm. And so again, if you're gonna have nuts, the best way to have them is to soak them and lightly roast them. And not eat them in massive quantities. And gotcha. I usually recommend the ones, you know, to have are, would be more like a macadamia or a cashew. Those are usually the lowest in the puffer oils. So the, and, you know, the ones like the walnut, which everyone seems to love, and that's really, really high in puffer oils. So, again,
0: But that's because you know, the, just, the walnuts have all the omega-3s. So are you saying omega-3s are not something we want to be downing grams and grams of every day?
1: I am saying that, which I know is against <laughs> what everyone else says. Oh, man, okay. Charles
0: Poliquin is not going to be happy with you. He wants you to have 10 oh fish oil God. capsules a day.
1: <laughs> I doubt like, constant spoonfuls and spoonfuls. So, you know, again, these are really volatile oils. And when you're putting them into the warm body, you know, they can have negative effects. And one of the effects is, the you know, the omega-3s is they, again, have an immune-suppressive effect on your system, which can show up as basically decreasing you know inflammation and decreasing pain and so people can get some positive symptom relief from them but you have to understand exactly what they're doing to your system to have that effect yeah and actually interrupting with your immune system and so you know knowing that you don't want to put something that's immune suppressive although you know most you know uh, a uh, prescription type drugs, that's exactly what they're doing is yeah. they are immune suppressive, and that's why you know you can read about all these people that have autoimmune issues and they're having all of these uh, immune suppressive drugs, but your chances of cancer and all these other diseases are going to go up because now your body can't fight off, you know yeah, know for sure bad things happening
0: now what about um so that's polyunsaturated that's your omega-3s your omega-6s that you're nuts you had mentioned macadamias and a couple others is that because they're high in, and what about peanuts are they higher in monounsaturated fats so are we getting or should we is monounsaturated better than those are okay or
1: So the macadamia and the cashew—they're more uh, saturated. More saturated. Right, they're more saturated. Uh, The monos—I would definitely say aren't as bad as the polyunsaturated fats. You know, something like an olive oil is okay. I just wouldn't use it to heat it or cook with it. Okay. Um, Again, heat makes these oils more volatile. You don't want to put heat or a very delicate oil under heat because you know you're. Right. So saturated fats do quite well under their heat and they're not oxidizing like the other liquid oils. So, you know, that's why I recommend things like using coconut oil or butter when you're cooking. Um, if you want to use something like an olive oil, then use it as a dressing, you know, still in moderation. And then, you know, to, if you're going to eat nuts, either eat them moderately, um, lightly roasted or eat more like a macadamia. Still, it's not something I would recommend as, as a big part of your diet.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, I was just actually over in India, and I just brought home some uh, ghee. Actually, mm-hmm. so it was interesting. I've never had that before, so I was looking forward to that. So you're suggesting that if you're going to be cooking uh, with oils, coconut oil is still our primary one. Um, butter, whole butter, not margarine. We're talking about. We're talking about exactly butter or ghee would be in those in that. Line, he is right correct? up there too right yeah, exactly okay mm-hmm. um I'm, let's go through a few other things quick because i've had you on for a while let's, we'll just i'm just going to go on some other points you had mentioned and we don't have to spend a lot of time on them um you it was a list of 11 things that you had suggested we take away things that we don't you don't touch on a lot what about phytoestrogens what's the deal with those
1: so phytoestrogens are actually estrogenic so anything that's estrogenic, we actually say, you know, get it out of your diet. And that includes things like soy or most legumes. Um, because, again, you're not, you're do not wanting to increase estrogen in the body. It basically is an anti-metabolic, you know, effect. So anything that's going to do that, we would say remove from your diet. And soy is like, also is in the category of basically an anti-nutrient and can have negative effects on your metabolism
0: and interestingly i think flax is way up there high in phytoestrogens too
1: it certainly is yeah it's a high polyunsaturated fat or seed so again i know a lot of people recommend it i do not
0: you must get a lot of angry emails from healthy people (laughs) (laughs) what about now speaking of speaking of estrogens so phytoestrogens i guess is what we can consider the the natural uh estrogen promoting do you also Mm -hmm. mention toxins xenoestrogens so right. now you'll now you have some people, and this is interesting because I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about these. Now, you have two different sides, right? You got the, the, the show-me-the-evidence side people who say, oh, these are such small amounts. You know, you're going on and on about formaldehydes and all these xenoestrogens, but they're such small amounts they don't affect you at the cellular level. You're being dramatic. But then you got the other people that are saying, you know, avoid all the toxins. I, I'm with you kind of on the avoid-the-toxin side. So what is it with the toxins, if you just cover some of those quick, like what so, kind of toxic. I mean,
1: Yeah, I, I think of a whole. I mean, I look at everything as like, you know, you have a bucket and you put all your stressors in there, right? And in today's world, we're under a lot of stress. We're exposed to a lot of chemicals environmentally, in our food, in the air. And so anything that could have some effect on that stress bucket that could contribute to your system being overly stressed. And you know it, you should remove it. Because again, there are a lot of things that you're being exposed to, whether it's your cell phone, or the street outside, or more people, or just the fact that you're exposed to light constantly all the time now. Mm -hmm. You know, our bodies are, it's a new era. And, you know, this isn't something that we're used to. And now you have to try and live in this society. So any stress chemically that's going to have a negative effect on you, then yeah, I say absolutely remove it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the problem is we don't have long-term studies because these things haven't been around long-term. So I think that's what a lot of people forget. I mean, we can't say, well, there's a long-term study on electromagnetic radiation from your phone because we've only had cell phones for like 12 years. So there can't be a 40-year study on it. Right. Uh, but, like, but like you said, all these things build up. I mean, maybe, you know, for instance, maybe the chlorine in your shower isn't the end of the world. But when you combine the chlorine, which turns into chloroform when it gets hot, and then you combine it with the, you know, that the, the PVC smells coming off your uh, off your underlay on your carpet, combine that with the BPAs or the BPSs that are inside your Tupperware, you get inside, you got the new car smell because you just sprayed your fragrance. I mean, when right. you put all those together, you, you, there's going to be a lot of problems. And the problem is when they're looking at it scientifically, they're looking at one molecule saying, okay, there's one molecule. Independently. In but what happens when you take 10 of them and you put them all together?
1: You right. Know? So And then you expose them to a, a person that's under chronic stress, right? Exactly. That has a poor diet and has a hard job and they're in traffic all day and they're not doing any exercise and, you know, they're not sleeping. And then you put all these other Or they're doing too much going.
0: exercise
1: exactly right. so that's the equation that we don't look at and you know it's hard to really I mean nobody's going to pinpoint a study and say yes that alone is going to and that's going to be the thing that kills you you know we have to look at it it, it, it is a it, it, a lot of things are going to accumulate to the mm-hmm. overall system breakdown you know diet is a big one mm-hmm. but a lot of other things are just generally you know the stresses of your life and your job and your happiness and all of these other things are contributing yeah. you know So, everyone wants to say it's this, it's that, it's saturated fat, it's this thing that's killing you, it's that thing that's killing me. No, it's just not those things. (laughs) You know, especially if you actually look at physiology, it's not, you know, but, you know, we have to always look at what is the thing doing in your body? You know, how is it contributing on a physiological level? Yeah, and it could be lowering your cholesterol. Maybe, but how is it doing that? You know, how is it having that effect? And those are the, and that's what we're failing to understand. And that's why people are getting into a lot of trouble with following all these kind of weird diets. That you know, ultimately, they're like, he's so healthy and he had cancer. I don't understand.
0: Yeah, No, exactly. <laughs> now you mentioned light before too. What about the sun?
1: Sun is super important. It is obviously your best source of vitamin D, which most of us are lacking in. And you know. And vitamin D is one of those weird nutrients that we're not quite sure what to do about. We know we need it, and Mm -hmm. we don't really understand, especially in Southern California. I mean, we have sun exposure here all the time, and everyone's vitamin D deficient, which is kind of like, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, a theory is that, you know, inflamed bodies don't absorb vitamin D very well. So it might not be that you're not getting it. It just might be your body's not utilizing it. Yeah, But you need sun. Your thyroid needs sun. Sun is very pro-metabolic. So getting out in the sun and having quality light is very important.
0: Well, they even did studies here in Southeast Asia. I mean, even people here in in Thailand, which is sun all year round, all the time. It's hotter than California just on a permanent basis. Even people were short in vitamin D here. And one of the theories behind that is the... um, People, even though you're in a sunny place, people spend a lot of time inside. Sure. I mean, the fact is people, you know, when they walk here, they walk on the shady side of the road and they get onto the air-conditioned bus. I mean, people try not to be in the hot sun as much as possible. So even being in a sunny place, if you're not getting in the sun, it doesn't really help.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Now, let's talk about training for a few minutes because I know we, you probably have to get going pretty soon. We've been on the phone for quite a while, actually. Um, let's talk about training. So... What kind of training do you suggest? We had talked about, you know, we'd said, you know, people who don't train at all in with all the stress, but people who train too much. So what are your, what are your views? I guess the major ones would be cardio, weight training, high intensity weight training, and things like yoga and parasympathetic sort of training. Let's start with cardio. What are we thinking about that?
1: Well, okay. So my first theory is with exercise is you should always do what you enjoy, mm-hmm. right? So if people love to run, run, right? But Pay attention to your body and 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 you know and understand what you're doing when you are running. So when you are running for long periods of time, you are treating teaching your body to become efficient. That's just what cardiovascular activity does to you. Mm-hmm. Yes, you'll you'll burn a good amount of calories in that exercise hour, but ultimately you're still teaching your body to become more efficient, especially if you're trying to make it go faster or longer. So understand that. But if you love to do it, Go for it, right? I mean, okay. you should always enjoy what you're doing. But again, on a metabolic standpoint, it's kind of a D.
0: <laughs> so cardio is definitely not the one you should be emphasizing a lot if you're trying to keep your metabolism up.
1: Right. Gotcha. If you're trying to burn more calories throughout the day and not just in that single hour of exercise, then cardio is not one that you want to put a lot of time to. It. I understand it can burn a lot of calories, and so when people want to lose weight really quickly, it's when they focus on because you are burning a lot of calories in that hour. But ultimately, long term, it's going to create a more efficient body. So you're actually going to be burning less calories throughout the day. Gotcha. Okay, so what about weight training then? So weight training, I would put up there as an A. Um, I highly recommend weight training. The more muscle you can build, the more your body's going to need more energy. So that's one that's incredibly beneficial. You've got to be in a healthy place to build muscle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, depriving your body of carbohydrates makes it a little bit more complicated to do that. So, you know, you need to be making sure you're eating enough, enough proteins, enough carbohydrates, so that your body can build muscle. Um, and you know, when you, when you, when you have more muscle, your body naturally is going to be burning more calories. And so it's definitely recommended.
0: So if you're weight training and you are un- losing weight though, so it's probably a sign that your calories are probably too low and you're under some metabolic stress.
1: Could be. You, let's say more your fat. strength.
0: Well, let's say your strength is going down at the same time. So yeah, you're just getting you're, smaller. with strength is going. Okay. So you're under eating. Perfect. <laughs>
1: Yes. High or you're just exercising too much, gotcha. right? Which you're not providing enough energy to do what your body wants. Which gotcha. if you're wanting to build, that requires a good amount of energy.
0: How about high-intensity interval training? These hardcore CrossFits, push a jeep, you know, going just insane. What about the? Where does that fit in there?
1: Um, so I, my opinion is, and I, you know, I've done CrossFit. Um, I think if you're an athlete. Um, it can be a good exercise and a good workout. And you need to already be in pretty good shape to do a workout like that because it is incredibly intense and stressful on your system. You need to make sure that you're providing yourself with enough food during it. But the people that seem to really thrive are those that are in their 20s and 30s. And anything, you know, there are probably some people older. But, I mean, it you got to be very careful with workouts like that. It's a high chance of injury. And yes. if you combine it with their diet, that basically is, providing you not with a lot of carbohydrates for that energy. You know, a lot of people get a burnout from CrossFit type exercising.
0: Yeah, I think of a lot of the smarter ones now. I've been listening because I I got involved in CrossFit almost 10 years ago. That's actually what brought me to Asia originally. Um, Mm -hmm. But you'll find, like you said, there's very few people over 35 and definitely 40 that are still doing CrossFit. I mean, it's definitely that 20 20 to 30-year-old sort of fitness program. And I think the smarter ones, like you said, of – They've become what they call flexible paleo, I guess, you know, <laughs> where you're eating yes. and stuff like yep. that now, because it's mm-hmm. just evidence that if you're a high performing athlete, you can't go paleo. I mean, it's just not going to work. They've done it. UFC fighters have fallen flat that have tried to do paleo. And so definitely not the way to go is combining that low carb and high intensity training. I mean, that's you're done if you try doing that, I think.
1: It, yes, I I I 100% agree with you.
0: What about now let's talk about, let's talk about the unfun, unsexy side of fitness cuz I've been pushing this a lot and you know, you say it and you kind of get crickets. Parasympathetic you know, stimulating training, yoga, meditation, taking a mm-hmm. walk. Where do those fit in? Cuz they're they're just, you know, they're just not they don't make for good Instagram pictures and hey look at me, look at me sitting here doing nothing for 10 minutes but what do you think about that
1: <laughs> i well i usually with people who are coming that i have uh, you know basically stress their systems to the max that is exactly the kind of exercises i'm going to recommend anything that's going to provide parasympathetic activity to slow you down and to help decrease stress in your system because mm-hmm. stress is completely antagonistic to a healthy metabolism it's the anti-healthy metabolism. Big time, and you yeah. See people, yeah. And you'll see people that have a stressed metabolism, meaning they're burning tons of calories because they're high adrenaline, high cortisol. Their body's just going, going, going. But that is not a sustainable way to live. And they're eventually going to burn it hit a wall. It's just how it's going to happen. But they can burn a lot of calories. now, you know. But those are the people that finally get to me and they run themselves into the ground. And they're still trying to train and they can barely work out. So for those people, I'm like, you got to just anything that's going to activate your sympathetic nervous system, we have to remove. And that would actually be weight training at that point, too, because weight training does activate your nervous system on a high level. So we would actually remove those things and do things just stretching, meditation, walk outside at a, you know, a moderate pace in the sun, breathe, you know, get sensory information in and look around, you know, get out of your phone. I mean, get away from all of the activity and try and calm your system down
0: yeah no you're basically describing me there uh you know like like i said like i'm six foot four about 210 pounds i mean i was for years like i said i got involved in uh i've been in the fitness gym industry for a long time got in the cross fairly early on you know when the first one came into canada i was kind of around there i didn't actually go to it but my friend did so he would put me through private cross that he learned there you know mma muay thai the whole nine yards um, even up to just about three years ago you know it was like going to the it was going and training hard i kind of get out across it but i still enjoy crossfit gyms so i'd be going really hard and you know five six days a week um, but now it just, you know, now that I'm 41, so probably around 39, I actually did a big switch and I just switched back over to kind of like a bodybuilding style training, still more on the functional fitness. I was do farmer walks, mm-hmm. but I've really cut out, you know, those just high intensity grueling workouts. I don't do a lot of Olympic lifting anymore. I've switched more to like dumbbells if I'm going to do that. Cause I just, I don't have the patience for that like high skill stuff at the same time. But some of the things that have made the biggest difference for me are now uh, every day, every single day, I take a walk, you know, and Mm -hmm. I purposely stay on the sunny side of the road. Um, and about two years ago, I really got enough. You told me five years ago that I'd be kind of like, uh, in the yoga, I mean, not a yoga freak, but definitely enjoying yoga. I would have laughed at you and said, you're crazy. Like, give me some wall balls and, you know, hit a bag. But now I've even, I've now I'm even doing Rusi Datan training uh, and I'm becoming a Rusi Datan instructor, which is actually Thai yoga. So it's actually mm-hmm. an ancient form of Thai yoga nobody knows about. But I found a huge difference in the fact that, you know, we do a 15 to 20-minute yoga video off YouTube every night. I follow one called, just, I think they're just called Boho Yoga, something like that. Uh, but she just gets really great yoga videos. We try to do a 15 yoga every night. The reason I went to India, actually is because I actually went there to go to a, a meditation retreat. So I spent three days at a, just a Pyramid Valley meditation, just doing nothing, no Wi-Fi, no internet. You had nothing there. Uh, and then wow. spent the next three days on an Ayurvedic medicine um, retreat, just doing yoga and eating basically Ayurvedic food. Um, right. the, the parasympathetic, I mean, the, the walking, the, the, I feel so much better since i started focusing on that and i'm pushing on people but it's hard to get that message across because people don't want to hear you know they want to hear hit they want to hear so how what's a good way to get the message out about about slowing down to lose weight and feel better
1: (laughs) Well, I think it all depends on what the individual is looking for. I mean, as you know, as you can even look at your own life, there are just stages you went through of what was attractive to you and what you thought you needed, and I think we all have to go through those stages. You know, I did the same exact thing. I've been through so many things where, you know, I used to do endurance events, and then, you know, and and I kind of understood what I was doing to myself, but... I think you just have to get there. And I think it's just important to say, hey, you know, in a world that is, we are, we all understand that we are exposed to stressors on every level all the time, you know, that we need to calm our system. It's so important. And I think it is becoming, starting to become more popular for people to meditate more. I mean, yoga is popular here, but it still seems to be popular to do the hot yoga classes, which is kind of counterintuitive to really what yoga is supposed to be doing. (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's the ironic
1: part. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to really do the hot yoga. It's more you want room temperature. You want your body to be warm from the inside, not from the outside. And so, you know, you're trying to calm the system, not sweat your brains out while you're doing it. You know, you might sweat a little bit, but ultimately it's about bringing yourself inward. And calming everything down so that you feel, you know, more relaxed versus more strung out from, you know, sweating a gallon after your hot yoga class.
0: Yeah, I think the problem, when I was in India, they almost seem apologetic that they've sent yoga over there so much. <laughs> yes. Right. They're like, the reason they go, it's like this, and I, you know, it's I, I call it L.A. yoga. You know, Vancouver is right. the same way, West Coast yoga. It's all about the fitness it's all about the exercise, losing calories, you know, bum, yep. pant, Lemon. And when you're in India, they're like, yeah, they got it completely wrong. They, they American. It's like American yoga now, you know. Yep. Like America always takes everything and they make it their own. So you got American yoga, which is the fitness yoga. And like you said, going into a – let's – you know, take, let's go into a 40 degree room. Let's get super stressed out. Then let's throw some beer in there because now beer yoga is running around everywhere. So let's okay. do alcohol and we're drinking heat and you know, doing all this crazy stuff. I mean, it's just, they really, they've kind of bastardized what yoga med- is supposed to be. Like I'm just waiting for when, when is there going to be hit meditation? I mean that's right? the next one's gonna be well, hit med. <laughs> you know.
1: It's all about if it can sell, right? And everyone here in America is all about fast, fast, fast. How can I burn the most calories fast, fast, fast? And yeah, ultimately, yeah, putting yourself under heat, doing a workout under heat and making yourself super stressed, you will burn a lot, a lot of calories, but you're not really understanding doing that, you know, within a stress lifestyle all the time. Yeah, you're Your not body, getting the
0: longevity aspect at all. No, like you're,
1: and you're just going and to, and that's when disease and illness and all sorts of things start showing up, and you you know, people don't even realize it, because they're so just in this stressed out lifestyle, and they think, hey, this is just how I live, and I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be living like that for very much longer, yeah. you know, it's just not sustainable.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. So, I just got two questions left, because uh, I know you got to get rocking, um, the diet that you kind of talked about, the way we talked about, would would I be correct in saying that a pescatarian diet is kind of the closest that, if you had to label something?
1: Um, possibly. I mean, it's kind of like a pescatarian, a fruitarian together, like combining that a and fruititarian, you know with, a pescatarian. With, <laughs> with dairy, you know. And yeah. I mean, because dairy is, I definitely recommend a good amount of dairy, you know good amount of fruit and then yeah fish is an ideal with some bone broth you know but ultimately i i don't tell people to eliminate anything if they love it you know Mm -hmm. it's like trying to find something worth using the basics of these foundations but teaching people how their body works so that they can make the right choices and start understanding how their body supposed to function and what should be happening versus just focusing on the nutrition aspect or just focus on just kind of these meals or weight loss. I mean, I'm focusing on your body and human physiology and what works right in a healthy human being, and that's what we are going to focus on.
0: Gotcha. And my last question is this. You tell people um, you know, uh, about, about the science and about, your, and about your book. They say to you this, because this is the argument I've literally got. Well, okay. ketogenic diet made me lose weight. I got a six-pack. You don't have a six-pack. Therefore, I am right and you are wrong. How do you answer those people? Because that's what you get. I mean, when you get on there, all you're right. going to get is a bunch of people say, "I dropped a ton of weight. First time I ever got a six pack." You're wrong. There you go. End of argument. That's what helps. Right.
1: Is. Well, I, I don't ever argue with those people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am. I mean, I let people do and think as they decide. I, you know, to me, when people get super defensive and, and come onto my page and they're trying to like convince me, you know, and tell me I'm wrong, and I'm like, I'm not really sure why you feel so passionate about telling me I'm wrong, you know, I mean, I just feel like they, they need some carbohydrates. They need some sugar. I mean, angry people basically have, you know, an imbalance of energy going on in their system. So I think it's, I I think it's,
0: I think it's Dave Asprey with, with a fake account.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, but just because you're getting lean doesn't mean the diet's good for you, right? I mean, I, I, I go, look, I, you know, here's the quickest ways you can lose weight for flu, you can get cancer, you know, go through a massive breakup. I mean, those are great weight loss mechanisms. And people get real lean real quick because they just don't eat, you know. But, I mean, nothing is healthy about any of those things. And so, you know, we have to start focusing on, hey, this thing made me lose weight. really like fast. It should be super healthy for me. And that's not, you know, that doesn't mean it is. At all.
0: Yeah, I think that's the problem is that, you know, we have a uh, very, again, Americanized Western view of what is healthy. And what is healthy is single digit body fat, regardless of how you get there. Um, hey, being healthy is the look. I mean, that's really what it is about there. I mean, yes, obviously, you know, you, you can do, uh, you know, waist to hip ratios, all those sorts of things are going to give you things, but having ripped six packs. Um, because you're not eating carbohydrates and you're starving yourself and you're only eating for six hours a day, that's not healthy. And I think that's the message we got to get across to people. It's healthy isn't just the way you look. It's a part of it, but it's a it's a kind of a small part.
1: Right. A lot of it's how you feel and how your system. And are you warm? And are you sleeping well? And do you have good digestion? You know, and is your energy sustainable? I mean, a lot of those are more important. Does your skin look good? Is your skin breaking out? I mean, those are things that we have to take into consideration when, you know, you're wondering if you have a good diet or not.
0: Exactly. Because so that, so that one friend that, you know, was arguing about the six pack. I'm like, he's always sick. <laughs> you seem to be sick all the time, and low on energy, and you have to take apple cider vinegar for you to make you feel better. I was like, hmm, something's not right here. Yet you know, I'm, I'm eating. You know, I don't have maybe I don't have the the six pack, but I I, I can I can eat a lot of. food different foods i mean i go and i have berries every day and like you said i had a loaf of sourdough bread i mean i don't get nearly sick as often i feel great so i'll trade yeah. i'll trade i'll trade that six pack for you know just a good weight but not be able to stress about what i'm eating so exactly where can people find more about you where can they follow you where can they go on to argue with you and yell at you uh, about right, how you like ruin I, their metabolic dreams
1: <laughs> uh well they can go to, I mean they can go to my Facebook that's a great way cuz I'm posting on there every day and there's lots of conversations going on at, at Kate During Fitness on Facebook so Kate in fitness okay or Daring you can, just, okay. mm-hmm. or you can go a, to Kate that's Daring. a page right that is my yeah. That's my okay. business page. Gotcha. So I'm most active on that. That's where the conversations are constantly going on. You um, that, arguments. <laughs> that, right. And luckily, I don't have too many people that go on there and and start just going after me. I do. You you always have those people that, oh, that want to argue with you, but that's okay. I invite mm-hmm. them. I mean, I've I've learned just it's not it's not to, you know I I have the conversation. I give them information, and it, you know usually everything I give them is absolutely wrong i mean <laughs> so it well, like,
0: doesn't oh. stress you out though at the same time though when you know you've done years of research and yet they read like a men's health article and now they know more than you and they're arguing with you sure they read, like a I blog mean, you know by somebody who's selling keto powder and <laughs> right? yelling at
1: you you know i mean i honestly <laughs> it doesn't bother me i give them information i and i just question them with this, this and this and they spout up other things i mean i have some very educated people get on there and start wanting to argue with me and you know and I'm okay with it, I'm all, especially if they want to give me some good information, you know. It, I'm happy to have that conversation as long as it's polite cause yeah. some people will get kind of rude. So I'm like, you know, we can have a normal conversation and give each other information. We don't have to, you know, start attacking each other. That's not going to be okay in my book. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I invite it. I mean, but again, I mean, I, I always find like, look, you know, I, I'm not going to go on to a keto page and just start ramming into them people are going to believe what they want to believe and what works for them right now and when when it doesn't they'll search for something else you know and i'm just giving out free information and if people want to read it and, and it resonates with them great you know if it doesn't though that's okay too
0: i think a safe i think a safe counter argument for you would be well just wait till you hit 35. Yeah. You are probably argue with people that are twenty six. <laughs> so just say how, your Possibly. biggest question should be how old are you? And I guarantee you, almost every single one is the age is going to start with a two. Okay. <laughs> okay, so besides Facebook, where else is there anywhere else they can find the book? Can, obviously, right. is Amazon and bookstores. I'm assuming, and so it's all in the books. Uh, the, in the, book West, on,
1: right. the book is on Amazon. Um, so you can do it in Kindle or you can download I think the only reason you get hard copy is in the UK or in the States. So anywhere else you would have to get the Kindle version or you could um, email me directly and I can mail you a copy depending on wherever you are in the world. So you will signed copies? Uh, I can. The shipping probably would be a good bit. It's usually easier for me to have it shipped just directly from the... Uh, distributor, but if they wanted that, then I'm certainly so not going to. If you really that.
0: want an autographed book, you can get one.
1: Sure, that's, that, that is a possibility. Absolutely. <laughs> right, no go to, yeah, go to kategearing.com, which is my web page, and that's mm-hmm. where. You know, I have information about my programming. You know, I, I do work with clients all over the world through Skype. So, you know, if something someone's interested in that, they can go onto that page.
0: Are you on Instagram or Snapchat or any of those, or those young buck I, <laughs> social media? I
1: am on Instagram. I don't utilize it that much. I find it's too much social media for me. I, I try to just stay say I'm one one area because it, it's, like, it's too much. And yeah, so, I, I got rid of my I Instagram. Kind of it stressful. It's I think it's more of my age group. You know, 35 yep. and up is kind of where people are paying attention. Snapchat is is not where my most of my clientele yeah, is.
0: Snapchat's dying though, anyways. Ever since uh, Instagram switched over to their stories, so I'm glad I didn't get caught. I'm glad I did not. Everybody was at the beginning was telling me how you had to get Snapchat. And I said, I just refused and I'm so glad I did because that was like a flash pan social media. Right? Yeah. Now right. it's just, now it's reserved mostly just for, uh, I think mostly just girls flash and bikini pictures uh, for the most part. So, there you go. So There's really no point in that. Well, great. Well, that was an awesome uh, podcast. I like, again, I'd like to thank you for having me come on there. Can you just, if you could say one, give people one nugget of knowledge to take out of this, what would it be?
1: That, oh gosh. Um, pay attention to what your body is telling you. If you're doing something and you don't feel well, you're having blood sugar issues or cravings or any of that, and you think you're just like, I can't continue to do that. Well, it's probably not the right diet. You should be able to have a sustainable diet and it should make you feel good. And you shouldn't have cravings. You should have good energy. So basically pay attention to what your body is telling you. It is always speaking to you.
0: Agreed. 100%. All right, Kate. Well, thanks again for joining us on today's show.